We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to Pod Mavericks After Dark. This is Kirk Henderson and Josh Bowe. We're recording a little later than we attended, but, you know, it's the offseason, so stuff like that's going to happen. There's obviously the end of the Miami Heat-Boston Celtics game going on right now, as our man Ronald points out. Uh, but, you know, we record these live just because they seem to get a good response and people like joining us here. But, you know, if you want to tune out and then tune back in tomorrow or whenever you can get it on your uh, download uh, on, on your audio app, that's just fine with us because nothing Josh and I are going to discuss tonight is particularly groundbreaking. Josh, how are you? I'm doing okay. Um, I think you talk about this all the time, about how we have to stay in a rhythm because if we stop, we won't get back on the horse. And I yeah, think, and you reminded me today, and it was like I know I felt three. so proud because you're usually the one who reminds me. So like, we're, we're, this is why we're partners. We're, we're helping each other. That's out. that's right. That's right. And you know, it's kind of hard to believe. Um, it's been a week since the draft lottery. It all was also on Tuesday night, where you and I were essentially online for three straight hours, which. You know, I had a lot of fun with that. I was also glad to not not do it then again, like because the grind of the season has just I I am mentally checked out at the moment, and so it's like popping in once a week like that really is is nice. And you know, I've been mm-hmm. doing these Friday shows. Ended up talking to a lot of people for like almost a hundred minutes on Friday um, about a lot of different stuff. That was actually surprisingly fun. Got more uh kind of off-season related questions that were like away from the draft and were really like away from the kind of the the subject of the day because one of the things that I've found particularly challenging since you know we're obviously delighted that the Mavericks kept the pick for like a content sake but then what comes with that and this is supposed to happen is the take the takes basically the takes started flying and <laughs> 
you wrote kind of our, our friend Tim Cato was like messaged me and he ended up writing a really nice column later in the week too, where he was just like, dang it. You guys have co- covered a lot of this stuff. Like what am I, I, I got to think about what I'm going to write. And it's, you, know, you wrote a good column kind of summarizing the, the debate and then really saying here, this is stupid because how about the Mavericks do something that that's good? Like there's just a summary of like, not a panic move, not a predetermined, uh, you know, course of action, like just take the best move available in, at the given time. Because as I keep forgetting and having to remind myself, they while they can make a deal before draft day, the NBA really frowns on that. And like the fact that that got out last year was not like it did not please the league. Um, yeah. So it's like we, we might not find out anything about what the Mavericks choose to do until draft day. And I think that's OK. Yeah. And also, I mean, it makes more sense because last year they're trading the 26 picks. So it's like who, like in their mind, they're like, whatever. The tenth pick, they're probably you know, they want to see who they they probably want to see who's there at ten much more than they wanted to see who was there at twenty six. You know, like trading it early probably didn't matter, but I think depending on who falls, it probably changes the trade. Like right, like it might trade. I, I certainly hope change so. what the trade value is because what if someone falls to the team below them? Like oh my god, we got to get this guy. I can't believe he fell to ten, and then that changes. The, what kind of trade they can get so they have to, i mean even if they, I, I, they have to wait i think to get the the best possible deal I would the funniest part about draft stuff is that between the lottery and like the the time everybody has to be declared for the draft and the draft is just long enough for teams to kind of overthink it we saw it with luka Doncic. that's going to be the the example for me until the end of time um hmm. And you see it every draft, particularly once you get out of like the blue chip guys. And what I've been looking at in the mock drafts to date is, you know, pulling aside any trades, which I think are rather likely. All you need is one. Like I I like all, obviously the top two, obviously the top five, but I like guys that are like six through 12 at this point. There's a number of them that I'd be interested Mm in. And for the guys that we're really, really interested in at 10, you need one person among the like 10 to 15 slotted range to rise up draft boards. You know, we got a comment in the chat from David Sanchez saying anyone fall into a Leonard Miller hole yet, which number one, David, the answer is yes. Josh did that last week. Um, And number two, like I see that happening with a team. And so Mm -hmm. there's just, you know, I've been kind of jokingly pining for Anthony Black because I just like him. I didn't actually think he'd be there, but I saw one mock where he was. Um, It's it's just going to be such an interesting process. And I think that that where you were and I just I went on a nine minute soliloquy to start the podcast last week about this, where I just got frustrated was I felt like there was a fax sent out amongst (laughs) Our, our friends and some of our competitors where it was like, well, the Mavericks are going to do this. Like, because it was very interesting, like on the take that, take that with you podcast with Damaris and um, follow the week prior, they were talking about the draft. And then this very next week, it was a firm pivot into, well, they might trade it. And then interestingly enough, I think, yeah, it was Mark Stein who reported at the tail end of last week that both Portland and the Mavericks are cooling. Like there's, it's like, we're so far out. It's like, well, they're cooling on the need to trade the pick. And like, I, I to me, that's all just chatter. 
But that's the point that you were kind of trying to make, I think, in that just like, like don't lock into a course of action. There's too much time. Right. That that was the thing that got me last week. It was like obviously people once we knew what the pick was gonna be, like that's what we're gonna do. We're gonna talk right. about it. Like it wasn't I wasn't surprised that there was that's what we were talking about. I think what I was surprised was just how ironclad some of these opinions were getting thrown out. Like it wasn't, you know, it might be best for them to trade the pick. It was they have to trade the pick. Yes. Or they have to do this. They have to trade down. They have to take a player. And I'm just like Oh, they don't. Uh, in this, yeah, in this this roster, they just gotta. I mean, they just need to win, and that was. Yeah, that's like basically the thesis of my column because uh, I wanted to go over like since 2019. I mean, you you can count on one hand the amount of new player acquisition wins they've had. You know, it's probably less than five. Like it's, it's Bullock. Draft, yeah, it's you know well, it's, jo- Bullock, it's Josh yeah. Green, Jaden Hardy, and Bullock. And then, you know, maybe you count the, the Kristaps trade as a win because Dinwiddie was really good here. And that's fine. So what's that's like four or five players mm-hmm. in like in five years when you had max cap space for, for one of those years. And, you know, it's just like they, they can't keep having losses. Like they can't keep doing these things where they, they sign and trade for DeLon Wright and then he's not like he's not on the roster. And then the guy they traded for is not on the roster. Like the Josh Richardson trade, like none of those guys are on the roster anymore. Like they just – they're just losing too many moves. Like they got to stop the bleeding. So if it's, if it's with a trade, if they can trade for a veteran, that makes sense. It's going to make the team better. That that fits the timeline. Okay, cool. If it's yep. drafting a player they think can help, that's cool too. I mean, obviously I have my preference. Like we all have preferences and biases. What we want to do. Like uh, I would prefer they keep it just because I want a cost controlled talented guy that they could keep on the roster for four years and won't be 30 years old when Luca is is 28. Like that would be sweet. Um uh but I also get it like if they can swing a trade that makes sense and because they, got they yeah because yeah, right. they are on the clock. Either way they just have to win. Like they just can't like the goal can't be hey let's shed salary. Like it can't you know or something like that. Like they 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 just have to they just have to be better and this move has to be a win. Doesn't matter what they do. Yeah, it ha- it has to be a win. I think is the great yeah. summation there because, and this, this is, is this is really where I lost my patience. I'm just gonna be candid here. If the people who and and you know you and I are pessimistic shits, and I am wrong a lot. I have to preface that, okay? But if the same people who were very much behind some of the truly horrid, not behind, but like supported some of the truly horrid moves of the last several years that did not work out are pushing a particular course of action. At that point, it's like we all lose credibility if we're constantly wrong. <laughs> so it's just like, I can't let, I don't know. It, it's, it's a tough, it's a tough business prognosticating. I just, I, I, I found myself frustrated though this week. Maybe it's because I've not been online. I think it's much better. There's been some, yeah. some much more weird news pieces that I think we, we should sort of get to and touch on. The first, I don't have it pulled up in my docket here, but Mark Stein said that if Frank Vogel is interested in taking an assistant coaching position, the Mavericks are high on his list. And this brought me a relative bit of comfort in a way that I think is probably overrated realistically 
<laughs> because coaching is what it is. But one thing that I think has become clear uh, just from sort of talking, you know, and asking questions, the Mavericks coaching staff was overly inexperienced last year. Mm-hmm. And I think it, it, when you really do, you go person by person, the, the person who had the most head coaching experience, not head coaching experience, coaching experience is, uh, you know, Daryl Armstrong, who's a backbench guy, Jason Kidd, who has, you know, up and down success. Um, and that is kind and Sean Sweeney, who's been with Jason Kidd the whole time. So like a, a different outside voice that Kidd has become is apparently very close with Vogel. Obviously, they they um, they won a championship together. I, I that was just I don't know. It would bring me kind of a peace of mind. Uh, does, does that make any sense? Yeah, they needed they needed experience on the bench for sure. I mean, like you said, it was basically the only people on the front bench, which is those are the guys that are like the people that are sitting on the front the the front bench are the ones most affecting like in-game decision making outside of like the head coach. Like the backbench guys, you know, are helping, but they're not. You know, they're not, I don't think they're making helping make subs or, or change, you know, making defensive calls and stuff like that. Like Sweeney is the Sweeney was the defensive coordinator, and uh, you know, Greg St. Jean was like the offensive coordinator. Um, so yeah, it, it'll help. Like Greg St. Jean, I don't think he'd ever been a front bench guy. Like Jared Dudley was a front bench guy, like he's a rather inexperienced coach as well. Not that it's like bad to have them, it's just they, like you said, they're inexperienced. So for a team that looked awfully disjointed in high pressure situations last year um, and didn't the season before, and they had a veteran assistant coach, uh, you know, Igor uh, yep. on the bench, it makes sense to bring in a guy uh, like Frank Vogel just to, to have a, a veteran voice who's been there before outside of basically kid and Sweeney. So, well, and, and uh, I, you know, I'm all for that for sure. I've been sort of advocating my opinion that I think Jason Kidd will start off the season in a rather lukewarm coaching spot because so many coaches have been fired and that the Mavericks don't have a full season to dink around. And they have, you know, preseason schedule overseas. And historically, um, teams that start overseas start the season weird. And obviously, you know, schedule will play a part in that. Health will play a part in that. The way the rest of the offseason goes will play a part in that. But that's just – it was something that, you know, it's not like we needed good news, but it was something that that I was I was kind of glad to see. Now, the, the next piece of news that cracked me the hell up um, – there's two of them, actually. So there's one you wrote yesterday and one that David uh, Trink wrote. Um, so – Based on a couple, let's start with the, the Kyrie Irving-related stuff. The chatter basically coming out of um, the draft is that the Mavericks have the inside track to re-sign Kyrie Irving. Um, to me, duh, they can offer him the most money. But, of course, the perpetual content machine has to go on. Brian Windhorst has just been beating the hell out of this, that the, the Lakers could be interested in him. Yeah, because he's LeBron's guy. <laughs> Which is fine. Yeah. It's fine. And I just, I don't necessarily, I, I, I almost think it's a leveraging point from Kyrie. It's not something that's going to phase me because, to be honest, where I am at this point in time is I could take or leave Kyrie. I really liked watching him play, but I... I just building around him and Luca is hard defensively. And I just, I don't, I don't know what you do. Yeah. And I don't disagree with that. The problem is, is I don't know what the alternative is much in the way 
you know how you always say when with these people that are like trade the pick and but they don't say for what and it kind of drives you crazy <laughs> right when it's like let Kyrie go okay well like what are you replacing him with because like like him or not like you traded two starters for him and if you let him go now you're down three starter you know basically three starters from last year's roster mm-hmm. like what are you what are you replacing him with because you can't just throw like can't be a forget about Frank moment again. Like you can't go into the offseason, like go into training camp again, just trying to hodgepodge uh, the lead, you know, the, the, the off guard next to Luca. So while I understand the long-term building concerns with Kyrie and Luca, you know, you basically have to have three great defenders next to them in the starting lineup or closing lineup, however you want to call it. While also those three guys can't be scrubs on offense because we're seeing in the playoffs, like you can't just play defensive specialists that that can't shoot. Like those guys get played off the floor. So I get it; it's hard. But also, I'm just like, you know, what are they gonna like? You know, sign and trade for Aiton in Phoenix? Like, okay, I guess I don't know. Like, you know, what are they gonna sign and trade from the Lakers? Because it's basically the only way he's gonna get there. You'd I don't be know. Tra- like, you'd be signing and trading. I don't want well, D'Angelo Russell. Like, that's none just of those guys worse. played. That's worse. They're- Russell is like just. C minus Kyrie. Like, why would you even want that? Don't even. You know, no, and, and, and so this, this playoffs. It, and again, I, I kind of want to talk about the playoffs all as a whole before we pivot to to play to to you know the the season review guys. But you know, the fact that Colin Cowherd also said that that he had heard that the Mavericks were in, interested in Anthony Davis. My first thought is like, for what? They didn't have anything to give. I was like, so it's like Cowherd reporting whatever because he's based out of you know Los Angeles. I just it's not that I don't give credence because yeah, the Mavericks I'm sure would be interested in adding <laughs> a, an all defensive you know center, a former multi time All NBA first team center power forward. Even though like I I'm I'm not an AD guy, but it's like oh yeah, big news that the Mavericks are interested in the guy that that wasn't working out, and so it's. You know, just thinking about all these guys as a whole, maybe it's just the the true like Luca and Jimmy Butler, 16 game players. So I've been watching these playoffs and really thinking about this. And someone said this to me today, where it's like you gotta have 16 game guys. And the Mavericks have have won in Luca. One. It's not that I don't think Kyrie's amazing. It's just he's a you know, 31-year-old six foot three guard who could crumble into dust over an you know, 82 game season. I mean, that's just a fact. Everyone wants to argue about his injury history, but you look at all these different guys that might be available for the Mavericks that, to go get, whether you'd be interested in a Grant Williams, who, oh my God, you uh, De- DeAndre Ayton, who makes $33 million. And do you, with every plus there's a minus. And, and that's the thing that, that I've been thinking about you know, with some of these guys, obviously they're distressed assets, but do they make the Mavericks better? And can Luca make up for their faults? Do they have other team built? You know, it's, it's why like where the Mavericks are right now is just so frustrating because I don't see how like fixing one problem creates another for the Mavericks right now, in my opinion. Yeah. That's kind of why fall back to just take a player with the pick sure and, and you know resign and, and then go from there and you know that that feels like the cleaner safer safer path um because for whatever it's you know i keep going back to this but for what it's worth when Kyrie and luke were on the floor last year they 
they won those minutes. They lost, you know, down the stretch because either one, Luca was hurt and missed, you know, like five or six games down the stretch. And then two, they they traded two starters on a team that was already uh, weak in terms of depth. So they had no depth. So whenever Luke and Kyrie were on the floor, uh, it never worked. Or if it was just one of them, it didn't work because, you know, now Josh Green's playing more. Now Jaden Hardy's playing more. And yeah, Hardy played great and Green had some moments, but, you know, you're just, you're digging deeper into the back of the bench. Um, so the idea of re-signing Kyrie, then taking 10 and then, you know, use your exception to, to bring in a veteran depth piece. And then you can trade 2027 maybe for like, maybe you can get another starter, like a, uh, like a fourth or fifth starting caliber player. And right. then I'm like, okay, that, that makes more sense to me. Like when you start wanting to trade Kyrie or, 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 you know, trade 10 for like eight. And I don't, I don't know. It just doesn't feel as clean to me in terms of like, Okay, I get what you're doing for Nick, but like, what's the plan after that? Right, right, because it's like you you trade ten and they're not fixing everything this offseason, no matter what path they take. Bingo, and that's very important. The silver bullet approach is what got the Mavericks to this place. Slow, you know, they I don't think they'd view it that way, but that's sort of what's ended up happening. And I don't know. It's, you know, when you got a guy like Luca, I keep reminding myself that it's, and I think the Mavericks do this as well, where it's like, if we make some, some small changes and win five more games, we're in the same spot. The Miami heat were heading into the playoffs where the question is, does anyone want to play us? And that is a powerful argument. I, I have to admit that. And, and I, I see it. It's just, you know, let's just use the example of, of trying to trade for eight and, and giving up a number of assets for it. You still don't have a small forward. <laughs> the, right. like none. You have no small forwards on Reggie the Bullock plays 45 minutes a game. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it's like, is there something else going on here? You know, and Josh Campbell says the Mavs need their version of the Aaron Gordon trade. Here's the problem with that, Josh. And I, I love my guy is talk. I'm very frustrated with his comparisons that he put out into the void of some of the players that were available for cheap draft assets. Aaron Gordon was about like he was due for another contract, a huge one. And the Nuggets were in the place with their team building process to, to basically give it to him, frankly. Um, well, the, the Nuggets also had Murray and, and Porter Jr. Like, they, they had assets had... to give up. And like the Magic mm. were perfectly happy selling on a guy because they were trying to complete a true bottoming out. That's what they were trying to do. So like some of these things that were out in the universe where you look at like, oh, well, look at the guys that were gotten for such cheap compensation. I understand, but that really doesn't happen during draft season where everybody overvalues their picks and things like that. Right. Right. And also like Aaron Gordon was their final piece. Like Mavericks aren't final piece move away yet. They are, they need like two or three more moves. Like, I mean, let's be real. Everyone like, you know, let's include Luca and Kyrie because I'm just assuming that's going to, you know, those will be the two that like everyone after Luca and Kyrie in my mind is more than expendable. Like, you know, is expendable. Like they have, like in my mind, they have at least three starting lineup spots to fill and, and like two, and you know, maybe they've got one of them with green and they've got one bench spot with Hardy. But even then, like you're looking at least like this team needs at least two more starters and then one more guy that can come off the bench. Mm-hmm. Uh, even if even if you're high on Hardy and Green, like that's still what they need. Like they can't keep rolling out 
like the the maxi dwight powell starting center combo they can't keep relying on reggie bullock to be their number one three and d wing like they just and i'm not saying those guys need to be off the team but they just have to get guys above them that are better than them uh if they want to be a contender and again they're not going to do that this offseason even if they trade everything like they're just yep. they're just not enough so i went they, on yeah. i went on this spaces hosted by um my man matei uh, one of the Slovenian um, sport info guys. And a guy asked me, like, so are you telling me the Mavericks might have Luca, Kyrie, and a bunch of rookies and a bunch of undrafted bat? And I was just like, yeah. I said, unfortunately, that's sort of the path. Like, it things got bleaker, much bleaker than I even thought. Because as much as I understood why they let Brunson walk, he was sort of the, you know, the way Dirk papered over a lot of mistakes. Luca and Brunson together were sort of the glue covering a lot of iffy roster builds. And without Brunson, just opened up a lot of holes. And and that's sort of how they got here. You know, um, just somebody, uh, Joe Sutherland up here says, you know, been saying all along that re-signing Kyrie would be the end of Luca and Dallas. Let's be real. Kyrie isn't reliable at all. The shiny new toy is tricking y'all. Just for the record, I think that our positions have been fairly consistent in that Kyrie scares the absolute hell out of me, but I also don't know what else you do when you make that trade. And then you apparently is somebody, I want to say it was Eric Pincus said that there's like a handshake deal in place that he would get a four-year max with the player option, which, you know, number one is illegal. Um, and number two is bargaining against yourself. I just, eh, the Mavericks have they, – they sort of have to do – they have to at least make the offer because that that's the decision path that they've gone down. It's like we're – we've been talking about this for, for the better part of three years where each mistake makes the next decision and roster building choice that much more important. And unfortunately, with where we are in the Mavericks, you know, cycle right now, some of their mistakes are catching up to them in a, in a hurry. Like this year was a take-your-medicine year and – I, I, you know, in hindsight, I wish they wouldn't have made the trade for Kyrie. I wish they would have continued to take their medicine. Number one, I think they might have made the playoffs anyways. And then number two, even if they didn't, they would still have that at series of assets down the line, the 2029 pick, for example. I mean, I don't know. It, it feels a little bleak right now, but, you know, one or two things could really shake the tree and make things feel better. Yeah, you're right. And like, I understand people like, you know, don't resign Kyrie. He can, he's tricking y'all. Like right. you're you're preaching to the choir. Like, <laughs> like I mean, it will none not of us, end well. No, nah, nah, yeah, <laughs> both of us have talked a lot about like can't ignore like he has left on bad terms. Every single team he's been on, he's left on bad terms. Cleveland, Boston, uh, and Brooklyn. Like that has not ended well. So, like, what makes you think Dallas is going to change that streak? I mean, you can be optimistic and and hope, but. Uh, you still got me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're here. Oh, okay. Uh, my sorry. I'm, I hope you don't have to edit this. My monitors just went like uh, crazy. Okay, I'm back. Uh, they just like flickered on and off. My bad. Um, but yeah, like the thing is, is it don't do the trade. Like now that they've done the trade, like okay, don't resign Kyrie. But wh- I don't know what they do. Like you know, I don't know if that. I think that they can open up like maybe like twenty million in cap room if if they don't re-sign Kyrie and they don't do a sign and trade mm-hmm. and it's like okay you want to trust Mavericks free agency like like <laughs> when does that work yeah i don't know like i feel like the 
they're past the point of no return with Kyrie. Like if you don't want Kyrie on the roster, they shouldn't have traded for him. And so it's just hard to it's hard to to go from there because if they don't have him on the roster next year, I'm failing to see what they can do in his in his place. And again, maybe it's just more you know if you view view the long term path, keep the pick, and you just bank on Luca not requesting a trade because of the CBA and because of the money that he would have to walk away from if he got traded. Maybe that's what you bank on. You're like, okay, we actually maybe have a longer grace period than we thought we did. Uh, I, you know, maybe that maybe that's that's possible, but I don't know. I don't, you know, yeah, who knows what's yeah. going on over there? Oh, well, okay. So before we pivot to like some of the last items that we're going to talk about, I want to take a minute and ask you guys to like the stream and ask you to subscribe to the show. Uh, last week alone, we had like 10% growth, which is um, not particularly hard to do on YouTube when you have a thousand people, but still a hundred more subscribers is really, really awesome. And I am grateful that people have taken the time to support our show. If you're um, new here, you know, please leave comments, like subscribe. I like talking to everybody. This is a show for fellow mildly disgruntled Mavs fans or people that want to tell us why we're wrong because I love interacting with you guys. Um, we'll do a Friday show. Uh, probably 3 p.m. Central, like I've been doing. Uh, hope bringing people up on stage, doing that sort of thing. All right, now I'm going to insert some ads into our podcast read. So, uh, you know, listen to those too, because that's actually the only way Josh and I make any uh, any money on this. But uh, it won't be, it's, it's not very much money, I promise you guys. Um, all right, we'll be back in just a second. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, welcome back. Uh, we want to talk about the last three players that we haven't actually had a chance to review their season. Part of that is because we didn't get the articles in on time and because we're all just sort of dragging ass over at MavsMoneyBall.com. Even though, to be quite honest, I'm actually very delighted with the kind of content we've been putting out at this point in the year. Uh, we'll we'll start first. We got three guys. Uh, Reggie Bullock, um, man, coming in off a year where he played north of 700 minutes in the playoffs. The Mavericks found something with him and Dorian Finney-Smith as kind of a wing combo in last year's kind of February on, uh, particularly after Tim Hardaway went down. And he became a really key cog for the Dallas Mavericks heading into the playoffs. We all heading into the 2022-23 season, I think everyone had talked themselves into the fact that we knew Reggie wasn't going to be able to hit a shot the first two months of the year because he historically cannot hit anything in the first half of a calendar year. Unfortunately, as the point of attack defender, 
which he was for many games, you know, as either him or Dorian Finney-Smith until Dorian got traded. Reggie Bullock looked like a guy who was like a guy who had no tread left on his tires. Um, I I think he, I appreciate how hard he always tried to play, but he went from being a lockdown defender to being a guy that couldn't guard a chair. And it was really problematic for the rest of the Dallas Mavericks defense. What did you think about, about Reggie's season, Josh? What's really funny is he ended up shooting pretty too, uh, what he was 36% overall his first season. Mm-hmm. He was 38% this season. Yep. It's really funny because I think if you had asked Mavs fans, the perception was he had a much worse shooting season this season. Yep. Um, I think what happened was, you know, the shooting was, you know, a little bit better because he finished the season really hot, like he always does. But the defense wasn't, like you said, the defense wasn't there. He clearly lost a step uh, defensively. And mm-hmm. it was stuff that was like, you know, he's 32. And, you know, that's not crazy old, but he's been in the NBA for nine years. And, you know, he played a ton of minutes with the Knicks before he came to Dallas, played a lot in the playoffs. Um, then, you know, came to Dallas, played a ton of minutes with the Mavericks, played a ton of minutes in the playoffs. So like you said, like, I think he just, he looked worn out, which is understandable. Um, and sort of continued the the tradition of Dallas Mavericks players playing a rung or two higher than what their actual talent and skill level would allow. And right. so it just, and they tried to bring him off the bench and, and things like that. It just, they couldn't. They just couldn't find a, you know, a good spot for him. Uh, even when his shooting came around, like, you know, Josh Green had kind of surpassed him in terms of, you know, just being someone more you could rely on, even with Green's inconsistency. So, yep. Uh, I mean, tough. he enters the final year of a contract and I think it's partially guaranteed, but it's at the kind of price range. I think it's like 10 and a half million. It's at the kind of price range where you, you don't not bring a guy like that back. I mean, he becomes sort of trade fodder to a degree because I think that in a different different set of circumstances, he could probably benefit um, if he's playing, you know, 15 minutes a game as opposed to like 25, 30, whatever he ended up playing last year. So, uh, you know, I, I will, I'm fine with him returning. I wouldn't be shocked if they move him. I would overall say, you know, it's, it's interesting. He's probably the best free agent signing of the Mavericks post Luca drafting era era like him and Seth Curry um you know which is not necessarily an indictment on the Mavericks I mean they they got to the Western Conference Finals in the second or you know the the, the first year they had him and and he he was a pretty key part it just it's it's I don't know it's you, you want a fun just, stat from Reggie Bullock's season absolutely he I want you to guess how many unassisted field goals he made last season how many field goals do you have on the year he made he made 192. I'd guess 15. Nine. Woo! He, that's uh, what percent? That's four, like four and a half percent. Yes. Wow. Four point seven. Look at you, math wizard. Ninety-five point three percent assisted field goals, and that's like the norm for his like career. Sure. He was pretty emblematic of like just the Mavericks sheer reliance on Luca. Like it's not really his fault because this is who he is. And they brought yep. him here to do that. And the Mavericks kind of tried to grease. They, they tried to play the system. Like they just tried to maximize Luca and they kind of forgot that you kind of need some other stuff around him. So he's not always having to operate at a hundred the whole entire game, but 
yeah, he's kind of he's kind of the mascot for the Mavericks issues of like no one besides Luca can do anything with the ball in their hands. Uh, and I feel like he was like the uh, the lead, he was on the top of the leaderboard. Like, how many times did we come on post game podcast? We're like, well, Luca had forty, and the rest of the starting lineup combined for five. Yep. <laughs> like, you know, how many games did he play where he played like thirty three minutes and scored like four points? It's right. Like, they got to move on from that. They just they just need better better players uh, at those at those spots in the rotation. Not really Reggie's fault. It's just it's kind of the churn of the NBA, you know. That's right. Then second uh, to last, but certainly not least, Kyrie Irving, who was brought in as part of a blockbuster trade uh, a few days before the trade deadline. Josh and I will remember where we were always because half the staff of Mavs Moneyball was together celebrating Doyle Raiders. Uh, he's having a baby shower, and a bunch of men all started staring at their phones at once and cursing out loud. I saw Josh coming in. I was like, hey, we traded for Kyrie Irving, and he was like, no. Not because you were mad about Kyrie, but just because like we were doing something socially, and we of course had to go to had to go to work immediately. Um, both of us, my, me much more than you, were pretty staunchly against the concept of the trade um, for reasons which you know ended up being fairly. The reasons I didn't want him never came to pass because they were all off court stuff. Uh, on court, Kyrie Irving was a show. And was really fun. And I really, really appreciate the the art of watching Kyrie Irving play basketball. Uh, he scored a hell of a lot of points, put on some amazing performances, battled through a foot injury, which cannot and should not be understated how much plantar fasciitis hurts. And especially for a guy who does not relies on, on his feet. And yeah, and doesn't stay on the floor and has a rep of mm-hmm. taking himself out of the lineup when with bumps and bruises he was a he was a war you know he was a warrior on the court he 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 did something which i found particularly hilarious and is the sort of thing you can only do in a smaller basketball media market which was like on his second or third day with the team he basically told reporters to stop asking him about his free agency because he wasn't going to answer those questions and following the show in brooklyn which is a huge media market with a lot of reporters the mavs media more like they respected that and so what ended up happening is in post-game stuff Kyrie would give longer answers to stuff than we've heard from Mavericks players in years to the point that like transcribing him Grant Afseth kept doing it for Dallas basketball where it was like man this guy he gives a soliloquy every time he gets up there and some of the basketball stuff he talked about was actually really interesting and it, it made you really appreciate him as a basketball player Unfortunately, what came with it is that the Mavericks never won. I don't have it up, but they, they they won less than 10 times after he joined the team. Yeah. And I, I pulled it up right now because I have it's part I have to talk about it. Like Luke and Kyrie played 900 possessions this season together, and the Mavs were plus 4.6 per 100 possessions with them two on the floor. They scored. 121.7 per 100, which is more than the number one offense Kings. So they would have had, they were, that's the best offense of all time. They had a 60% effective field goal percentage. I mean, just crazy. Like the defense was bad, but like when you're scoring that much, like it doesn't matter. And like they were winning those minutes. And again, the problem was the trade killed their depth. They had, no, they had just had nothing when those two, when just one of them went to the bench, they just had nothing. 
Um, funny enough, I think the the Kyrie minutes without Luca were better than the Luca minutes without Kyrie. But I think that you know, Luca just didn't look. I, ever since he hurt his that that last injury he got against New Orleans, like what was it, the heel or something? I really think that just kind of zapped him. Uh, meanwhile, Kyrie kind of pushed through a little bit better. I think I don't for whatever reason, Luca probably be because for the first. 80% of the season he had like almost a 40 usage and had to play 37 minutes a night so it's not surprising that Luca kind of wore down in the last month of the season even though he still put up great numbers and the team still played generally pretty well when he's on the floor but yeah I mean it was it was fun to watch and genuinely you know those first couple of games after the Kyrie trade I think the Mavs won like three in a row Kyrie yeah. Luca wasn't playing Right. And and you're like, wow, Luca's not even playing. And they look great. And they were good. Like it was, they beat the Kings. They beat the Clippers. Um, can't remember the other win. I think it was the Jazz. Yep. Uh, but they, you know, it was like, okay, they turned the corner. They were like four or five games up above 500. And then it just kind of came crashing down. And, you know, Kyrie kind of became the scapegoat a little unfairly. It was kind of weird. It was like unfair how much people were like, oh, well, Kyrie ruined the Mavs. I'm like, well, let's Didn't do a thing. Part. No, it wasn't him but, at all. But and then, was- you know, he's also not helping the defense like right and the defense kind of went a little too far the other direction because it's like yeah. well he still has a hand in this a little bit but yeah it was just it was weird because he i mean he did everything i mean he exceeded expectations right? i think so on the offensive end and what got progressively more frustrating as the year went on and you'd hear the takes about the team losing or it's like well these two just can't play together and it's like you're not fucking watching the game no, that's what you think those two are the only reason why they got any of the wins they got at all. Like, and like th- that sort of stuff has become, at least on a national level, it's been utterly fucking exposed in these playoffs as all these dipshit commentators who'd clearly never watched a Nuggets game seem baffled that this, you know, that Jokic averages 31, 13, and 9, yeah. and whatever the shit it is. And it's like, come on. Tell and that's the thing about Nikola Jokic, the two time reigning MVP. Like, what? right, right. It's like, this guy's really good. Who knew? And the same yeah. thing happened with Luca and Kyrie playing together, which is like, I get if you don't think that the team building can work with them defensively, but offensively, that is not why they're losing games. They pour that Philadelphia 76ers game is the oh one that God. should. I mean, I we have seen some offensive stuff in our time as Mavs fans. The Sacramento Kings game in 2003 when they hung up like 86 in the first half. We've seen some crazy Luka performances. Remember when they beat the Clippers by 50 two years ago? Mm-hmm. Like, we've seen some wild stuff as Mavericks fans. And that game is among my top three most what the hell is going on games. Like, that was wild. Because we've never – that's never happened with the Mavericks. Mm-hmm. Like, because Dirk was – I mean, Dirk was for the most part a one-man show. I mean, they yeah. There were what three all-star selections total when Dirk was a Maverick, like Nash, Josh Howard, and Jason Kidd. And those were all each one time. Yep. They were just one time all-stars, and two of them were injury replacements. Like it was usually Dirk scored your third. Not that Dirk did it all alone. Like, you know, I'm not sure right. I'm being a little pedantic, but just in terms of like just star power, like the Mavericks just have never had that before. It's it's always been a one star with a bunch of other role players. And it was like that with Luca, because KP kind of came and went. Yep. And and we kind of saw maybe a little bit of that in the bubble, but it didn't last for very long. But with Kyrie, it was like these guys every night were just were just killing it in a mm-hmm. way that we've just never seen in Dallas before. I yep. mean, it's the first time in franchise history they've had two all-star starters in you know on the team. And how many teams have ever had two all-star starters? Like it's like right. the Laker, like it's probably there's not it's not a big list. Yeah, and I mean what it's only the 
fourth time in like 20 years they had two, at least two all-stars on you yeah. know just in, in general like in one season so you know it's a rare occurrence to see two all-stars on sharing a, a mavericks uniform at the same time uh so that was cool like just straight up that was cool and then of course you know the thing with luca and the reason why this drives me nuts where the mavericks are just trying to find these like the way they want to shop from the island of misfit toys because they know hey in our system with our player development with luca this guy that looks bad here is going to look great here and we can pay him 10 million less than this other guy who does the same stuff you know mm-hmm. so and and they've gotten away with that pretty well except for this in a calipton in this season a little bit obviously they missed the playoffs but generally like that's smart thinking like that's not bad but at a certain point you just need more talent and the reason is like look at Kyrie like instead of like having Luca use the jaws of life to get these guys to shoot 37% on wide the most wide open three pointers ever uh, we we need to like, do what if you had good shooters already and put them next to Luca yeah. and you get what Kyrie did which is he if he would have played the whole season in Dallas again Kyrie's one of the best offensive guards in the NBA in the last 20 years mm. if he would have played in Dallas all year he would have set his career high for true shooting at 30 years old. Mm-hmm. Like that's what Luca can do. Like imagine if you got more talented players and you just didn't have to keep relying on these guys that don't know, how, you know, that you're just like, okay, well, Luca will make him look better and we'll be okay. It's like, you know, that's fun and all like, you know, it's a cool party trick and you kind of need it to, to fill out like, Hey, you're sixth, your seventh, your eighth man. Like, that's great. But you're, you're top five, your top three, you need some bona fide NBA talent there. And like Luca is just like, like you got Luca, man. Like he's going to make these guys look amazing. He's going to give everyone that plays next to him is basically putting up the best season of their careers. Like just imagine if the, if the bar was a little higher in terms of just where the talent is like, and Kyrie's like, to me that Kyrie was a perfect example of that. And that's where I think when I've said, you know, a couple of times the last several weeks that I, I could go either way with the Kyrie signing. Yeah. It has much more to do about the team building than Kyrie right. at this point. It's like, what are you going to do? Anyway, so that's a, a really nice transition, allows us to transition into talking about Luka Doncic. So, you know, it's funny. Five years now covering this guy, five years um, started with. <sighs> Uh, it started with a drunken prognostication in in um, November, October of 2017 before he was with the team. So I guess it's almost six years now. And it's funny when he first when he first was a Maverick. If you go look at like our archives, he was all any of us wanted to write about. Uh, he's so amazing. And then when it came to do these season review season reviews, nobody wanted to write about him. And really, nobody wanted to do the season preview this year. So I ended up doing it because I'm in charge. And I can, you know, word vomit Luca talk. It's what I do all day. I don't mind. It's it's talking about Luca is fun for me. But I'm also not as analytical and, and reasoned as you are. And I know I remember the what I titled my season preview, which was basically, what if we made the whole plane out of Luka Doncic? <laughs> and uh you know, that's a reference to what, you know, why don't, why don't they make the entire airplane out of the black box? Uh, because if it's like indestructible and what we learned this year is why, you know, you saw it in hindsight, we saw it during the seven game win streak where Luca averaged something. I think I wrote, I think I have it here. 
Um, during, <laughs> during the seven-game win streak that was in December that started after that horrendous Wolves loss where the Mavericks went one game under 500, in seven games, he averaged 37.8 points, 9.1 rebounds, 9.9 assists, and 2.3 steals on 55.6% shooting, including 40.1% from three. That included uh, three games north of 50 points with one game where he scored 60 over the New York Knicks. Um, we will not see I, – I, I, we will not see another 60-20-10 game in our lives. I'm just going to put that out there right now. <laughs> but what that revealed about the team is why they ended up going to trade for Kyrie, is that they did not have enough. And it was very, very frustrating because it becomes a chicken or the egg situation. Is it because Luca has the ball all the time? Or is it because all the other guys aren't good enough? We know as long-term Mavs fans, and there might be people that disagree with me in the chat, and this is fine, but I've watched this team. I've watched, I've missed probably less than 10 games in five years. So I feel pretty confident in this take. They need better players, period. And that, you know, and so what needs to happen next with Luca, understanding that is it is up to Luca to, to figure out what he wants does he want to be the best player in the league? I sometimes get into disagreements with the Luka Doncic super fans, whether they're Slovenian or American or whatnot. I think we all would come to an agreement that Luka can be the very best player in the league. But in order to become the very best player in the league, he has to do some things differently. Ice Cube in the chat says Luca holds the ball too much. I'm willing to entertain that argument. I think it's out there. Mavericks need to find some guys that can actually do other things with the ball, which is why the Kyrie offense that we just talked about was so damn awesome with him and Luca. But it comes back to sort of the question of for Luca to become, you know, Luca basically has to be above reproach. There can be no. Oh, well, you know, yeah, the Mavericks need to be better. We know that. We've acknowledged that. But there are things that Luka has to take out of his game and figure out ways to get better. You know, I was listening. Um, I'm going to pull up this clip from, from the Gilbert Arenas pod, of all places, of something I've been thinking about all day. But um, why, don't, why don't you sort of respond to my meandering thoughts there? Yeah, it's <laughs> it's not that he's, you know, it's just two sides of the coin. Like, does Luca need to give up the ball? Yeah, in the grand scheme of things, you know, because NBA teams don't win championships with guys with usage rates like Luca. It just doesn't doesn't happen. Like, it just doesn't it doesn't happen. If it happens, it'll be like the first time. Like, uh, you know, LeBron, even LeBron, and never held the ball as much as Luca does when yep. they were winning championships. But again, you know, that one is more, like you said, chicken or the egg. Is that the rosters of Luca? The roster hasn't been good enough. For Luca to change, if they bring back Kyrie and they do some things, and it, and it still looks a little bit like this, then we can start asking the question: Okay, does does Luca just want to play like this? Is just just how Luca plays? But until the roster gets better, I want to I want to wait for that qualifier to happen. Again, that doesn't mean there are other things he can change, even if he's holding the ball as long as he is, because the roster stinks. And of course, the two things are, well, I guess three, but you can, they all tie together the defense conditioning maturity and yep. 
all those things tie together. You improve, like those all improve each other. Like if you work on them and that, that is something that has to happen regardless of the holding the ball too much debate. Like, I don't care how much he holds the ball. doesn't matter if he doesn't improve defense, conditioning, maturity, um, then that, that conversation is pointless. Like to reach that next level, to win an MVP, uh, he has, he just has to be better there. And again, it's just, he is 24 and he's young, but like the ref thing, like it's over, like it has to stop. Like, and I don't know what it's going to take, but I, it's, it's reached the point that it can't, it can't keep happening. Um, and again, Luca's not the only one that complains. No, of course not. But, but he's he, also, might, he might be the those all those three things together make him yeah. one of the most frustrating players who's this talented. Now I want to I'm going to present I'm going to share um, my screen here and hopefully the audio comes through uh, to anybody that is listening on the podcast. But this is from the Gilbert Arenas show and it's got him um, and Josiah Johnson and Spencer Dinwiddie. And then Brandon Jennings, of all people, makes this comment. So I'm going to I'm gonna press play here, and we're just going to listen. Well, you don't think he's in shape? Is he in shape? I don't know. Autumn beers? I don't know. I mean, I think, I think to his shape, I think he's in shape. But if you're talking about that elite he, level, yeah, like, yeah, I can yeah. be at the rim every single time. And defense are, like, you know, when we talk about Giannis Braun type of, like, shape, well, no. But see, yeah, they, hope, and, and you always say too. You always say guys training, like guys aren't training to go to the hoop. Like mm-hmm. so, that's why I'm saying you're not in, you're not in that type of yeah. shape. You know, and it's crazy when like the outside world listen to, they they see a player he's playing 37 minutes, and then no, like, you can hide in the game. And then you be like, yo, nah. you're not in shape. And they're like, how can you do? It? He's one like, if you, trust me, you yeah, <laughs> you you can you can hide in the game. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so that. That whole section is going to live in my head for a while because they're not like they're describing Luca, but in this, since Luca wasn't in the playoffs this year, I'll tell you who they described Joel Embiid, who is simply not in good enough shape, just like Luca. There is in shape to play a professional sport, then there is in shape to make it to the NBA finals. And I think that's that's sort of the dividing line for me right now to where, yeah, he did come into to, to shape this season. Can he be in even better shape? Absolutely. Will he be in better shape? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. He has to make these choices. This is when we're talking, and, and granted, I know I'm driving the Slovenian fans nuts. When I'm talking about the things that he can improve, it's the things that are within his control. Because... He will, he will, the only time he will cease getting criticism is if he has removed the things within his game and he is the true number one player in the league. Like Jokic right now has basically silenced everyone during this playoff run. And it's not just because they're watching him for the first time. Shout out to everybody watching, watching Nikola Jokic for the first time. You've been missing art, but he's, he's figured out the different things that were holding him and his team back. Lucas 24. Can he do this? Absolutely. Yeah, Jokic is 28. <laughs> so. Right. This like this is all within his grasp. It's and honestly, I think he's going to. I really earnestly do. He's too driven. He's too psychotic. Um, it's a matter of what does he want to do to patch these holes in his game to go from being 
a top three to five player in a given moment to being the clear cut number one, the way Jokic, in my opinion, is. Yeah. And the thing is, is we've seen it in little bits and pieces. Like I think about this. I thought about this a lot as the season was ending that Atlanta overtime game, they lost that really felt like kind of like their last, their last chance, you know, uh, that kind that game kind of, ended the season really, you know, because if they would have won that, they would have been able to to play those last two games and not uh they would have been in within their control a little bit more instead of relying on the Thunder to win one one more game. Yep. So you could feel the desperation in that Atlanta overtime game. Like I don't I can't remember Luca playing defense as good as he played in the fourth quarter and overtime of that game. And the fourth quarter and overtime, like after he had already played 30 something minutes controlled the ball was probably exhausted he was the hawks were trying to pick on luca they were mm-hmm. screening you know luca they were taking whoever luca was guarding and screening luca onto trey young so trey young could isolate and luca held up i think most of the time in the fourth quarter no t just straight up no help no switching no trapping no gimmicks just straight up man on man one-on-one against trey young he kept him in front of him contested him blocked one of i think blocked one of his attempts at the rim and it was impressive. And it was like, oh wow, he can do this. And he gets a little bit of a he gets a little bit of a boost too, because like you think of other all offense uh superstars that their defense is holding them back. Like I always think of like Dame Lillard. Like Dame Lillard can do so much, but at the end of the day, he's not gonna change the fact that he's six two or six one. Like, you know what I mean? Like he's a small guard, you can only do so much. Like Luca gets like he's six seven. So like he already gets uh he's in a position with his with his body size and his height and his strength that he can be a good like he can he can absolutely get there he can you know not saying he's going to be like an all nba defender or all defense or or one of that but he it's well within the range of possibilities for him to be a positive player defensively where some of these guys you know like lillard can do all he wants but he's not changing out but he, like he's going to be a small guard the rest of his life he's not changing his height like Luca being a six seven forward, like he has the opportunity to be a positive contributor on the defensive end. So that's just within his grasp. Of course, chicken or the egg, does the roster need to get better so that he's not exhausted on offense, that he's not taking possessions off on defense? You know, they'll never get away from that. Like that's gonna happen. That's just the NBA. Um, but yeah, if the roster can get a little bit better, maybe that maybe he'll be a little bit better. But yeah, he can, he can do it. That's the thing. It's not impossible. We've seen him do it. I saw him do it in that Atlanta game. If yeah. he can do it there, I'm not saying he needs to do it 82 times a season, but he yep. can do it a hell of a lot more than he's doing right now. And I think even he would agree with that. Um, I mean, hell, he talks about when he plays shitty defense after after games where they lose. I mean, he's well aware. It's just up to him if he wants to change it. Well, and there's no silver lining to the Mavericks not being in the playoffs. But there is the fact that this gap in organized basketball, so from mid-April – until the next Slovenian friendly match, which I would guess is sometime in July, is light. So you got second half of July or April, May, June, most of July. And then so that's that's three and a half months plus the training for the World Cup, which is in the Philippines, which is going to be crazy. Um, those games don't start till August 25th. And I'm pretty sure Slovenia is in it. I, I'm this the, all the international stuff starts to confuse me, so I'm going to embarrass myself on that. But that's going to be got to be one of the longest gaps he's had not playing organized basketball since he was like like a kid 
So there's something to be said to him getting to have the opportunity to get his body in, in elements of his game updated, changed. You know, yeah. uh, this is forgotten other, about. Yeah, the only other time he had this much time off was COVID and like you're well, not training, you, you're stuck in your apartment. Right. <laughs> what can you do? I mean, yeah. You know, folks forget this, but, you know, between the end of Real Madrid's season and him getting drafted by the Mavericks, one of the things that was considered a weakness was his left hand, that he was a primarily a left-handed dribbler. Do you remember him having a single problem with his handle his rookie year? No. No. So when Luca chooses to fix something, he fixes it. I have a lot of confidence in him. He's my, he's, you know, other than Dirk, the favorite guy I've ever watched. Period. So I'm I'm Dude. really looking forward to to seeing what he brings back. Uh, I have a lot of of faith in him, and and you know, maybe the team might not be where you know they're not fixing the roster in a year, but I do think that that you know, just off the top of our heads, the goal is playoffs or bust once again, and see what happens. Yeah, and I mean, like you talk about him coming back with something. Remember the 2019 2020 season where he was basically all rim, all threes. Like, oh, and he God. just got to the rim every game. And that was awesome. And then he came back next season and it was like, oh, by the way, I'm like elite in mid-range. I'm, I'm Dirk and from mid-range. Now. Yeah, and it's like, oh, okay. Like, so. Uh, sure. Yeah, we'll see. I'm an unstoppable <laughs> can, force. Yeah. That's why can, someone someone in the chat said, I think he's the best offensive player in the league right now. And I think, you know, Yoga would like to have an argument about that. But there's, I think you could absolutely justify it. Mm-hmm. So. Well, this has been a nice uh, a nice hour. Um, you got anything else? Uh, no, I think that's about it. But it, if uh, you know, the draft is still like what we're like a month away from the draft, or yeah, pretty much. A month I think today. it's like June twenty sixth or something. Yeah, I'm in Mexico uh, then, so <laughs> so we've got time. But uh, at least like we're through the combine. Um, team workout should be starting somewhat soon. So hopefully, like you know, we'll have some. Of course, we're not going to know who's working out for the Mavericks. Uh, yep. We can we can do a whole podcast about I still how annoying need to write that is. On that. Mm. <laughs> but uh, you know, maybe we'll get some more inside information with these workouts. Uh, and, and yeah, this is it's a long wait. It's kind of excruciating. Like it was kind of fun in uh, what was it the twenty. 20- I don't know, whenever the Josh Green draft where the season yeah. ended and then it was like, oh, my God, the draft is like in two weeks. Uh, and like there was just wasn't a much of a wait. This is a pretty long downtime, which causes people to think their thoughts a lot more and you're stuck with your thoughts. And maybe that's why everyone gets so angry online. But Oh, it absolutely it, is. Yeah. It, we're arguing about the same stuff every every day for three months. I am but, loving some of the fake, like the first round of fake trades, like the day, couple days after the draft were all garbo. But I saw some today. That seemed like, well, hey, you know, such and such guy in exchanging the 10th pick for the Spurs 24th pick. And it's like 2024 pick. And I'm like, yeah, that sounds mm-hmm. not, you know, just real <laughs> tempting nonsense to me. I, I, But, you know, the Mavericks haven't traded four picks since uh, Devin Harris, I think, in 2005. So they're not going to yeah. do it now. They acquire, I think they bought a first rounder in 2010. That was, oh, was that Dojo? Jones. Yep. <laughs> Can you imagine buying a first rounder? Like I know, isn't that crazy? Like <laughs> you have to trade eight of them for for like a starter now, and that's right. Bought one ten years ago. 
Well, thanks so much for hanging out. This has been uh, Kirk Henderson and Josh Bowe with Pod Maverick. Check out Mavs Moneyball. We'll have plenty of stuff over there. Please like and subscribe to your podcast platforms. Please subscribe to our YouTube channel if you have not done so and get notified when we go live. I'm expecting to go live on Friday at 3 p.m. Central Standard Time, uh, heading into a holiday weekend here in the United States. So everybody have a good rest of your week, and we will talk soon. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.